0: It's my pleasure to uh, introduce Tom uh, uh with us this morning. Tom's uh, going to be preaching uh, both services. Tom's an MTW missionary in um, Belgium, and uh, he's uh, working with uh, quite a variety of people over there. I'll uh, let uh, him tell you more. Uh, this afternoon, uh, there's a lunch at uh, Center Street Grill, if uh, any would like to hear a little more about um, him and his work over there. And also at uh, Sunday school, uh, we'll be hearing about his ministry over there. But uh, the neat thing about uh, Tom is that uh, he's actually uh, from Belgium. A lot of our MTW missionaries are uh, Americans, so uh, you'll get to see a little more of a European uh, flavor and uh, might notice an excellent accent similar to uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. So uh, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Good morning. Um, it is always a tremendous blessing for me to be back in the church, and particularly uh, this church. Um, I uh, thank God for the privilege of being able to meet Dennis again. Uh, we've known each other for 25 years now, I think, graduated seminaries together, and to see how the Lord is working and moving in his life and the fact that he can be here leading his flock here in Williamsburg is a great privilege. Um, Of course, we are very grateful for your support, your prayer support, your financial support. But when I come back to the church and I stand before you, um, it's like I'm being reminded again by God why I do what I do and, 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 and I feel a sense of belonging Uh, the mission field can be a very lonely place and when i come back to the church i I, god reminds me yeah you you belong to to your to god's people and and you are sent from the church uh, not only to represent christ but to represent the church and to to uh, make the church grow and uh, you know in 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 other parts of the world and so uh, thank you for your prayers and for your love for us and your support and for the privilege that you have given me to stand before you today. Greetings from my wife, Catalina, who cannot be here, for my four children. Um, please come to Sunday School. I'll be sharing a bit more in detail about how the Lord has been working uh, in and through us. So, But now we have the great privilege of once again looking at God's word, to feed upon it, and to enjoy it. So let's uh, do that together. And uh, we turn to a familiar text, I think, to most of us, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. As the disciples are on the verge of beginning this great journey with Christ for the next three years. So let me read God's word. one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennazareth with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got in the wa- one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, as he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Fundamentals. It is impossible to think about life without fundamentals. You know, you just don't go from being a newborn to college in a day. It takes 18, 20 years. You know, you you, you don't become a John McEnroe or a Pete Sampras overnight. It takes fundamentals and, and practicing those fundamentals over and over and over again. And I think in some sense, Jesus is introducing them to key fundamentals for what it's going to take for these men to follow Christ, and what it's going to take for these men to catch men to catch others for the kingdom of God, and when you come to this text for the first time, or if you've read it a hundred times, you cannot simply be impressed by the powerful images that Luke creates in these eleven verses. You have an image of, of, the, of the lordship of Christ over creation and people. A very beautiful picture. You, are, you come face to face in some sense with the dilemma and the implication of unbelief, as I will show later. You, come, you, you see that the effects of, of and the need for this liberating power to repent and what it does to your relationship with Christ. And of course, you come face to face with the love of Christ, the deep, deep love of Christ for people like Peter and his partners as fishermen. So, and then of course you come to this, this, this great miraculous sketch, you know, where they are asked to go fishing again and, and, and Christ performs this great miracle. Now, throughout the gospel accounts, The mission of Christ is always introduced early on and emphatically repeated in their conclusions, but with the added difference that the mission of Christ now becomes the mission of the church, the people of God, of you and me, of us together, and it's no different in the Gospel of Luke. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 45 through 49, we have the Great Commission according to Luke. Jesus says, or uh, Luke says, then he opened their minds and so they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning here at Jerusalem. This is the great commission according to Luke. Now, the question for us today is, how can we, as the people of God, share with others the mission of Christ on a daily basis? How do we do that? How do we keep that that desire, that motivation alive in our hearts? How do we keep it from becoming just a mere methodology or something you can just check off your to-do list or something, you know, that kind of fades away in our hearts or, or something that... You may be one of those people that rationalizes this type of activity for those who are gifted at it. How do we keep that alive in our hearts? And the answer to this question begins with grasping these fundamentals that Jesus is introducing here to Peter and his friends. Now, first let us review briefly the context of which, in which this event takes place. When you go to ch- the, the chapter four, We read, for example, that when this story takes place, Peter had already a significant relationship with Christ. For example, in in verse 3 we read, uh, in verse uh, uh, 38 we read that he had been a guest at Peter's house. And and Peter had witnessed great miracles of Jesus. His own mother-in-law had been healed by Jesus' touch. Various kinds of sicknesses had been had been healed. He had cast out demons. And so Peter had been an eyewitness of this. Peter had heard great testimonies of Jesus. The confessions of the demons themselves who, who referred to Jesus as the Holy One of God. And of course, the confession of the crowd who viewed Jesus as a person who had great authority and who taught with great authority unlike the Pharisees. And so with this background, you come to chapter 5 but Simon is still a full-time fisherman. And of course there is nothing wrong with being a full-time fisherman. We need Christians involved in every kind of vocation. There is to glorify God. But for Peter, in my opinion, his vocation represented an area in his life that really did did not belong to Christ. He was an expert at what he did, and his expertise in some sense defined who he was. And so his performance as a fisherman was important to him. And what he perceived to be an area of strength and actuality was an area of weakness. Why? Because it kept him from seeing who he truly was. And that was something that needed to change if he was going to follow Christ. It kept him from discovering, really, his deepest and greatest need. And therefore, as only Jesus can do this, he says to Peter, go fishing again. Get back into your boat and go fishing again. Now, you have to understand, these guys were professional fishermen. They had been fishing all of their life. They knew everything that there was to know about fishing. So, you know, fishing at noon was kind of an irrational, foolish thing to do. It was contrary to all his experience. It's not something you did. And not only Peter knew it, but his his partners knew it. They probably had some kind of business. And all the people who were there who had been listening to Jesus preach, there was maybe thousands of people there. They were all kind of fishermen. So they they all knew that what Jesus was asking of Peter was kind of strange, you know. And so... Because you know Peter and his friends had worked all night at the best places at the best time and had labored diligently but without absolute failure. And we read in the scriptures here that despite all of this, Peter obeys. He says, yes, I'll do what you say. Now, I don't know about you, but ask myself the question, and maybe you've asked yourself the same question: why did Peter obey? What motive him to do to to, to obey Christ? So do you think that he obeyed out of sincere faith, believing that Jesus could help him somehow catch fish? You think that's why he went? Think about that. Did he obey out of obligation? Out of respect? Out of some of the cultural pressures that were on that present at that beach. Now, I have lived in the Middle East. I've lived in Turkey. And Middle Eastern culture is a shame-based culture. They value very highly the idea of appearance. Appearance is extremely important. And so they always talk about: make sure you don't make Older people or people of importance lose face. It's an absolute no-no in that part of the world. The group is more important than the individual. So I think that here is Peter face-to-face with this situation where he's thinking Christ is going to lose face. What do I do? What are my options? And his brain is you know, thinking very quickly. And he's just saying, well, I'm just going to hope for the best, you know. I know, you know, I'm just going to hope for the best and go fishing again, you know. I mean, he, he reveals a deep respect for his master, obviously. He had seen the word of Jesus in action. He knew it to be powerful and authoritative. But does he truly, truly believe that him and his partners are going to catch fish? What do you think? Would you believe in it? See, I don't think so. But you see, Jesus is not just your average Jewish rabbi, is he? And for Peter to come to grips with his calling to embrace the mission of Christ, his perception of himself, And his perception of Christ needed to change. Because Jesus knew exactly who Peter was. He knew exactly who who we are. And for those of you who are familiar with scriptures and Peter, Peter is is portrayed as a a confident, self-sufficient person, isn't he? Peter was impetuous. He was impulsive. He would be qualified as a high-D personality. He'd be running a, you know, some major big company. You know, he knew what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And so, you know, Peter often relied on his own strength. And what drives those kind of character traits in all of us is is simply the problem of pride and unbelief. You know, what is true for Peter is true for us. I mean, we have different personalities, but we all deal with the same problem. And I think, and I I may be stretching this a bit too far here, this application, but I think this is why we have a tendency in the Christian community to treat Jesus as a master. And why is that? Because the master relationship is a relationship you can control. And we like control, don't we? We love to be in control. You know? But you have to understand Peter's world. You know, Peter's world was was Judaism. And and, and the creation of a pharisaical system was based on the premise that legal righteousness was was possible to secure the favor of God. This is why Paul describes his pre-Christian relationship like this when he challenges the church in Philippi says put no confidence in the flesh but if anyone did have confidence to put in the flesh it was him if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh I have more as for legalistic righteousness Paul described himself as being faultless so that's Peter's world you know so you do what the master requires and you're fine you can just you know I've done this I've done that, and that. I'm, I'm good you know so the master of relationship kind of feeds your pride. It feeds your ego. And actually, it allows you to cover up your unbelief. That's what it does. It allows you to cover up your unbelief. And as one well-known preacher once said, you become a sin manager. You learn how to manage your sin very nicely. You know? And we all struggle with that. And it prevents you, most of all, from seeing as you really are. And that was Peter's biggest issue. And so here is Jesus. He's gonna show Peter by way of his greatest strength, his profession as a fisherman, what his foundational problem is and what his foundational need is. And exactly when the fisherman finds himself full of confidence and strength, Jesus enables to, to, to see Peter as he truly is. Just imagine that. What links God will go through You know, to reveal himself in that way. And so within minutes of casting their nets, they catch such an enormous amount of fish that the boats begin to sink. Can you imagine that? Picture that scene on the beach. Everybody is astonished. Peter is astonished. You know, Jesus shows himself. He didn't have to do this. Jesus shows himself to be omniscient, knowing all things. He knew the whereabouts of the fish. And Jesus shows himself to be omnipotent, having unlimited power. He directed those fish to a place where Peter and his friends could catch them. Wow. That's that's incredible. And so when Peter realizes what is happening and who made it happen, and for whom it happened. He is completely and utterly undone. He doesn't know what to do. He's beyond himself. He is utterly lost. And the only thing he can really do is surrender. Completely and fully to Christ. And fall on his knees. And so with his unbelief completely exposed. He falls on his knees and says, Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And Jesus goes, yes. Amen. This is where you need to be. This is where we need to be. Right there. And so this is the first principle we learn from Peter's interaction with Jesus. It is kind of this need for and this liberating power of repentance. It's not something you do once. Repentance is something we do all the time. I mean how can we share the mission of Christ on a daily basis if we do not see ourselves as we truly are? Because what makes the, the gospel so exciting to share. You share it out of humility, out of a deep sense of, of your own need to repent. You're not better than 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 the person next door who doesn't know Christ. We're not better. And so how, 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 how do you keep that alive in your hearts if, if, if you're not willing to deal with your own sin on a daily basis? That is the first principle that Christ here is, drives home to Peter. He says, Peter, you are a sinful man. Now, second, his perception of himself needed to change, but also his perception of Jesus needed to change in order to grasp and see the need for the second principle. You see, sin management does not only keep you from seeing yourself as you are, but it really keeps you from discovering who God is, who Christ is, and what his lordship is truly all about. Now notice Jesus' response to Peter's attitude and confession. Now you have to understand that Jesus, at this particular point, had every single right to move away from Peter. And he could have said, Peter, you are exactly right, you are a sinner, and I can't do nothing with you. Christ has the right to do that. His justice would not have been compromised. His righteousness would not have been compromised. He has the right to judge us. But that's not what Peter hears, is it? What does he hear? Simon, Peter, do not be afraid. Now, the do not be afraid phrase recurs in the Old Testament a lot. You start paying attention to that little phrase in the Old Testament, you hear it all the time. It is the gospel cry, really, of the Old Testament. God says, don't be afraid. God is saying to Peter, listen, I have come to bless you with my mercy. I have, he says, Peter, I love you. And I have come to to show you my love. And I have come to teach you how to trust in my love. To trust in my love. And with this, he really discovers the true essence of the Lordship of Christ. It's a Lordship of love. We sang today about the deep, deep love of Christ. It's a hymn we sang. It's one of the hardest things for us to do is to come to grips with God's love for us. You know, and Christ says, you know, when Christ says, uh, come to me all your heavy burden, you know, and uh, "and heavy laden and I will give you rest. What is he talking about? He says, trust in my love. Don't be afraid to come in the light of my countenance. Don't be afraid that as you come closer to me and as more sin is being revealed that I'm going to reject you. I know it's already there. Trust in my love. I have paid the price. The cross is the refuge, as another hymn says. The cross is our refuge. And so, this is the second principle we learned from Peter's interaction with Jesus it's the need for and liberating power of God's love. What is the good news? The good news that we can share with others is that instead of judgment, there is mercy in Christ. That's why we share the good news. You know. And uh, and this was a hard lesson for Peter to learn, believe me. You know, just fast forward three years now. Okay? And Jesus has been crucified, and he's been laid in a tomb. And we read in... Uh, in uh, in the gospels that one of the women goes to the tomb, discovers that the tomb is empty. they run back to the disciples. The disciples think she has kind of lost her marbles. They all run to the tomb. they discover that it's empty. And we read, you know, as they are running that, that really Peter did not believe the story. Now, put yourself in his shoes as the one who, per- who betrayed him. Would you be looking forward to meeting Jesus again? Would there be not like a little bit of doubt and say, well, I know his love is great, but will he, will he accept me again? Will he forgive me again? Could Peter deny his own denial? The lordship of love. Christ has a lordship of love. And this brings us to the third principle. And the third principle is is straightforward. is to trust in God's power and rule over all things. Peter and his partners are now ready to hear the words of Jesus in verse 10b and 11. From now on you will catch men. You know, follow me. Peter and his friends in our culture are called to a different vocation and over the next three years Jesus is going to show them how to catch men alive for the kingdom of God. Learning to fish for men. But the key was not going to be the fisherman's expertise. The key ingredient to this kind of activity was going to be faith in God's power and rule over all things. Because here is, I believe, the real message of the miraculous catch. Just as Jesus had, you know, knew the whereabouts of the fish, he knows the whereabouts of those he has chosen. And no, maybe that's some, for some of you it may be hard to hear, but God is sovereign rules over all things. He knows where his people are, even those that have not professed Christ yet. It is, it's not your, 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 your worry. You know, that, that's God's, business. And just as he had directed the fish to a particular place where they could be caught, God will bring the people to you. You don't have to often go looking for them. They are right there. They're right here in Williamsburg, Virginia. They're right there in your high schools, in your workplaces, your neighbors. They're right there. So we don't save anybody. Peter, you know, Jesus was saying, Peter, it's not your responsibility to save people. That's my responsibility. You know, we don't have the power to save anybody. All I want you to do is to trust in me, trust in my power and in my goodness. Exercise faith in me. You know, I think this is why Paul says to the Galatians in in, in Galatians 5 verse 6, the, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. He's saying, look, you know, do what you do out of love for me and do what you do out of love for, for those people around you. Do it out of love for me and trust in me. It isn't going to be your, your gifts and your talents, your skills and your knowledge, even though that's important. It's a gift from God that we all have. But, you know, that isn't going to be the key to, 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 to catching men with the gospel. It's going to be faith in me. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, Matthew 9. And so for the next three years, Jesus is going to show them his power. Jesus is going to show them his love over and over again, you know. And, uh, and this is so, so important, these, these fundamental principles, that Jesus in his goodness repeats the miracle after the resurrection. You go to John chapter 21, and there you read. They're fishing again, and Jesus is standing at the shore cooking, some, cooking a meal. He says, hey, throw the nets on the other side and get some fish. Peter realizes who it is, you know, takes out of his ark and jumps in the water and swims to Christ. And what does Christ ask of him? What does he say? Did he say, well, Peter, hey, you've graduated from... RTS Jackson Theological Seminary, you know, you had a four point, grade point average, you know, you have all the gifts, the skills, blah, la blah, blah, diplomas, go build my church. He didn't say that to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Three times he said, Peter, do you love me? I know Christ loves me But I have to always ask myself, how much do I love Christ? How much do you love Jesus? We all need to grow in our love for him. Now in conclusion, notice that Jesus did not say, you might or you should, he said you will. Jesus did not say, well, go catch men for the kingdom of God when you have certain gifts or you have a certain look or you have a certain training. He said, you know, you all, we're all called to do it. You all will be involved. We all need to be involved to, ha- to, to let Jesus become our teacher and leader and, 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 and help us in this activity of being his witnesses. So trust in repentance, the liberating power of ongoing repentance, trust in God's love, the liberating power of of embracing God's love, and trust in his power, faith expressing itself in love. Amen. Let's briefly pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that we can look at it, that we can understand it, that we can... Think about it, that we can feed upon it, Lord. Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. Help us, Lord, to be real and authentic with Christ. Help us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but to completely open our hearts to him so we may follow him, so we may learn of his great love for us so we can grow in our love for him, Lord, and put the law of Christ in practice and action. Thank you for this congregation. Father, and for our common faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.